0: Darling, just give me a moment. I'm off to lounge. I'm just gonna pop on my robe for lounging. Happy Valentine's Day, Michelle. Happy Galentines! Actually. happy,
1: Happy what?
0: Galentine's, you're my Galentine. Oh
1: a Galentine. Oh, I didn't realise you were.
0: It's a Doing thing. a
1: little spoof on the Valentine's Day. Can I
0: point out? I did not make that word up. Okay, this is what my daughter said to me, Mum. It's Galentine's Day. I need the house to myself. What? I know. I was like, well, you're not getting that.
1: <laughs> That's what not do you happening. Need the house to herself She's to-
0: got a friend over. It's a girlfriend. They're going to do glow ups, which is something that we would probably just call hair and makeup. Or a facial or something. I don't know. But listen, happy Valentine's Day to all of you eavesdroppers. What a lovely, loving day. We appreciate you. We love
1: you. We appreciate you. Did I say appreciate? Is it appreciate or appreciate? I think you can choose
0: whichever you like. No one's going to have a go at you.
1: Okay. I think I did a a, a halfway house there.
0: Appreciate.
1: Appreciate.
0: Michelle's the one who gets the words wrong. I'm also the one that gets the words wrong, and my name's Geordie. Welcome to our podcast. You are listening to Eavesdropping,
1: which makes you an An Eavesdropper. Congrats. Congrats to you. And, you know, I would like to say that this episode today is going to be full of love. love. Hmm. I'm not sure that's going to happen. But I will ask, Valentine's
0: Day cards, were you ever the recipient of any... Yes, I was. We have talked about this before. On previous Valentine's Day episodes, there's a few now. I'm sure we have. I do do get the odd card, yes. I don't. No? Ever? Oops. You've never had a card? I don't
1: think so. I don't think so. I think I've given them. Gave a few. I remember once, God, I gave one to this guy who I had a big crush on when I worked at McDonald's in Dixon, which is a suburb of Canberra. Sexy
0: already. I'm loving this sexy story, Michelle. What's going to happen?
1: I really fancied him. He was short, like me.
0: Yes, like you. Yes. Blue
1: eyes, like me. Like you. Was he interested? Not at nah. all. <laughs> Not at all. Oh, but you know, a friend requested me recently. I say recently, probably about five mm. years ago. Just couldn't be bothered accepting that friend request. So does that make me a bitch?
0: Yeah, Yes. Ah. Should we take a poll? I'll I'll start. Yes, it does. You're a bitch. To
1: be honest, I haven't even looked at my friend requests for years.
0: I I barely even go on on Facebook. Do you, know what? you don't have to accept a friend request. I mean, only they tell me that only old people use Facebook anyway. So I mean, maybe mm. you shouldn't be using Facebook.
1: <laughs> maybe I should. Just not so be. you don't
0: appear old. <laughs>
1: Facebook, what's that? God, that's so. What even is that? Only old people use that. It's so
0: last decade. I would not even be <laughs> bothered with that. This Valentine's Day, Michelle, I want to give you a couple of recommendations of things that I've been watching and listening to. Go,
1: I'm. Yeah, I, I, because I've Go. listened to a few things, watched a few things. Yeah, I want your wrecks. Wreck me
0: up. Okay. Well. It's been on my list for a while and I don't know why I hadn't watched it before. So it's not current and controversial, but it is really good. And I'm only a couple of episodes in and I'm thinking about it all the time, which is a good sign. Mm. It's called Sherwood, Sherwood, as in Nottingham Forest, Sherwood, you know, Robin Hood. It's in, obviously, Nottingham. And it's one of those murder mysteries that goes back and forth a bit. It's like there's a murderer on the loose in a little town, ex-coal mining town. And it goes back in the beginning to the coal miners' strikes and the impact that it's had then and still today. And of course, I didn't live in this country in England during the coal miners' strikes in the 80s. And I did hear about it and I know about it, obviously. But the impact, it's quite shocking when you see you know the the actual footage of what happened at the time, right? In this TV show, it's still impacting the community now. I find it really interesting. I did
1: start watching that because it had the lead actress from Mum in it.
0: That's yes. I'm trying to remember I her name. Like and can't remember. She's gorgeous, fine featured, beautiful. Gary Oldman's first wife. Yes. What's her name?
1: What's her name? And she was in... Everything. Everything. She's brilliant. She was in The Crown at, at some point, wasn't she? Was she an Older Margaret or something? Oh, she could have been. She was in Mrs. Harris Goes to Paris. Right. Uh, she was in All Sorts. And she's great. But I will say it did not grip me and I did not get past the first episode. Is it worth pushing
0: was? through? Yes, It gripped me immediately, so I would say I can't vouch for that. If you don't like the first episode, then don't watch any more. But I'm loving it. I'm also listening to a podcast series. I really enjoy Mariana Spring. She's the social media and misinformation correspondent on Radio 4. And that in itself is a thing because Radio 4, some would say they do have an agenda and it's not completely non-biased. So some people think it's already tainted with bias. But I do find her podcasts and radio shows really informative and interesting. And I've actually used some as content for this podcast in the past. Disaster Trolls was one of hers. There's many more. The one that's out at the moment is called Why Do You Hate Me? And the first episode is actually looking at the woman who you talked about in a previous episode, uh, Michelle. Julia Wendelt, and she's no, She's the Polish girl who thought that she might be Madeline McCann.
1: Yeah, right. Do you know what? I did see something pop up about that. She's getting a bit of
0: heat. Tell me, is she in the firing line? Well, yes, she was in the firing line because she started this Instagram page, as you talked about, saying, I am Madeleine McCann. And she had so uh. much hate directed at her, including... Somebody telling her that there was a thirty thousand euro bounty on her head. What? That she should be raped. That she should be killed. Oh my that god. That she's appalling. Awful things. Now, this woman, although it was probably a bad move to do this, she actually didn't know that much about Madeline McCann's missing person case because she's in Poland and surprise, surprise, it's not worldwide front page news. Although a little Google did show up for her because she was had been abused, as you'd pointed out previously. She had some kind of disconnect with her family. There weren't any pictures of her mother pregnant or of her as a small child. And all of these things together, when she saw the pictures of the suspect, the Madeleine McCann mm. case, she recognised him. So she can't put pieces together mm. and she's got mental health issues right. and suicidal ideation. Is it okay to attack this woman on social media just because you think she's disgusting for whatever reason because she may have thought that she might have been a missing person? What if it was Madeleine McCann as well? You know, people fucking calm down. Put down the keyboards. Yeah. I've seen some shit recently and it's really – it's upsetting me. Yeah. I'm upset. Well, this is not new. You know,
1: online trolling has been going on since the beginning of the internet, but it's been going on in real life forever Bullying Trolling It used to just be called bullying That's what it is Why do people think it's okay to do that? I don't know that they do think that it's okay I think they think they're entitled They don't take it a step further Bullies are very self-centered They're not thinking about the impact of their words or their actions on somebody else It's about control and domination And feeling good about themselves They're triggered for whatever reason I'm not defending bullies Bullies are fucking assholes and they cause a lot of damage to people. Yeah. But what I'm trying to say is people who are typing that shit, being horrible to others in real IRL, in real life. Or online. IRL. They don't care. They don't care about anybody else. They are very internally faced.
0: Stop it. Stop it now. I was looking at Instagram the other day. I saw this really innocuous post and I can't remember what it was. But underneath, one of the commenters said, could care less. That kicked off. I mean, even that comment itself didn't seem appropriate to the post. And that kicked off such an argument. I thought if I was the original poster of this, I'd be so upset. I'd never go on social media again.
1: But not that people that we know who comment on posts and online are trying to be bullies. But people want their voice to be heard for whatever reason. They feel that they've got an opinion to express couldn't care less is quite inflammatory. It's inciting people to take sides.
0: If you could care less as well, why bloody bother exactly? Posting? Could care less it just, just doesn't make just sense. Just
1: scroll past, <laughs> you know? It's ridiculous. Yeah,
0: whatever.
1: Honestly, I'm now at a point in my life where I could care less about replying to every Tom, Dick, and Harry online. In real life, it doesn't matter. Live your life. Who gives a shit? Just do your thing. Stay in your lane nobody cares about what you think (laughs) they really don't (laughs) it's true
0: it's true true
1: Jen true you know we had a discussion the other day about whether or not to reply to online reviews now for listeners who don't know uh, my partner has a restaurant and of course these days whether you want a TripAdvisor page or a Google page or not you have one you're not allowed to not have one. As a business owner, you can shut it down, but people will start one up and then you're not in control of it. So we had this discussion about whether or not to reply to reviews, good or bad, five star, one star. We made a decision early on, we don't reply. We don't reply to good, we don't reply to bad. And we've had some heat about that as well, actually. Really? Mm-hmm. Oh, you need to be in control of your online presence. Who says that? People. People do. We have people saying that our strategy is wrong. Why do they care? Why do they care? And also, a good review, a bad review, does it really matter what someone else's opinion is? Is this something we apply to life? Just putting that out there, I'll get off my high horse now.
0: Let's try and apply that to life. Michelle. Is there anything lovey that you can tell me though, off the back of that?
1: No. Not really lovey, but I will say, uh, speaking of Telly Rex, I did watch a, a programme called Somewhere Someone Somewhere. Some, yeah. Somehow somewhere. American, it's about this woman. She she's overweight. She is single. She's got a neighbor who's in prison. She's got a sister who She has a very fraught relationship with. It's absolutely brilliant. She's a comedian. She's fantastic. My favorite part of the show is her sister, who's this born-again Christian, or devout Christian, actually. Her husband leaves her. She needs to start making money. She creates these pillows. Initially, as a statement to the woman her husband cheated with, Yeah,
0: just said, Lying cunt. I've heard about this. Have you not told me about this?
1: Maybe. Honestly, it's one of my favourite shows that I've seen. Yeah. I actually watched season two. Season one was great. I would recommend anybody watch it. I had laugh out loud moments, tears rolling down face. Aww. I just thought it was wonderful. That's my wreck.
0: Speaking of tears down the face laughing, laughing, <laughs> laughing <laughs> <Laughtering>. um, <laughs> I had a review of our podcast from a listener recently who had Dropped it for a bit, picked it back up and she said it was a laugh out loud, guffawing episode. She can't remember which one it was. So I'm glad that we're bringing joy amongst the horror because today's ep, Valentine's. Might be a bit horrific.
1: Well, that's the thing. I'm not sure that Valentine's Day is all about love. It's a little bit like Christmas. Everyone has these visions of, oh, it's going to be the best day ever. It's going to be... Too
0: much expectation.
1: Really too
0: much expectation. And things do go wrong. But did you ever know about the background of Valentine's Day, Michelle? Like who is sent to Valentine? Do you know? Yes, I do. And I'll just quickly tell you before you launch into your story, if you don't mind. Do it. Known as Claudius the Cruel, Emperor Claudius II controlled... Is this
1: I Claudius? No. Of I Claudius fame? I
0: don't know. He's known as Claudius... Do you Claudius remember the... that TV yes, show? Yes, but that was, that was comedy.
1: Wasn't that Frankie Howard? No, I thought it was terrible where it was all death and eating babies. Oh, I get and it wrong. Ripping babies outside yes, out of wombs
0: and... Derek. Horrific. Anyway. What's his name? The actor. Yeah, so it was... Hang on. Was that current or old?
1: Old. Oh, this is like 80s or yeah, yeah, yeah. by Claudius. Yeah. It ripped through the cultural landscape. That's Has right. There was a ripping. nasty
0: one and there was a funny one. I can't remember what he, oh, okay. the, the other one was called. <laughs> but anyway, Claudius the Cruel, Emperor Claudius II. Well, it must be that guy. He controlled Rome in the third century and Saint Valentine was just your average priest. And he had... Claudius had a bee in his bonnet about the lack of volunteers signing up in the army and he thought the reason behind the men's delayed recruitment was their deep devotion to their wives and lovers so he decided to outlaw engagements and marriages in order to encourage more men to enlist in the Roman army oh however good luck with that Valentine the priest he carried on overseeing marriage ceremonies because he must have believed in a thing called love and he all did all this in secret after he realised it was just really harsh and and not fair. So he just carried on. And once Emperor Claudius discovered what he was up to, the valentine, before he was a saint, he ordered him to be executed quite cruelly because he was known as Claudius the Cruel. He was clubbed to death. Oh. Clubbed to death. And then he also had his head severed.
1: Oh. Ah. What's the point of that? I don't the know. The dude's dead. You
0: have a word with Claudius, Michelle. You said there was all sorts of nasty going on in the TV show, but that all happened on the fourteenth of February, roughly two seventy C.E. I don't know what that is. That's like a new thing. I only know B.C. and A.D. What's it A.D. Before don't know, don't what? Me. This is C.E. Century, just century, maybe 2070. 270, Sorry, two hundred and seventy. <laughs> the year two hundred and seventy. <laughs> <laughs> <I don't> no. <know. laughs> I was doing so well, and now it's gone wrong. but I guess he's just the patron saint of love because he died quite literally for love.: He died for love.: And his skull is in the Basilica Santa Maria in Cosmedin in Rome.: Okay, you say that? In Rome somewhere.:
1: In Rome somewhere. OK, next time I'm there, I'll go lay eyes on that skull. I mean, they were quite cruel back in the days, weren't they? Beatings, yeah, beheadings, horrible. all sorts of stuff. You did say that he believes in a thing called love. Instantly took me back to a wonderful song, The Darkness. Brings joy every time I think about it. Oh, well, I'm glad. I believe in a thing called
0: love. So, so good. So did you say that you had some emails from listeners, Michelle? I did say that. Are we going to give them airtime? Are they pleasant? <laughs> Are they polite? <laughs> They're not bullying, I hope. Of course not. It's from our wonderful listener,
1: kiss apocalypse he says my sister was very naughty to call me sideshow Shelly because of my twin tooth thank you very much for being on my side Uh, with that
0: (laughs) I was a bit confused I thought he had a sister who also called him sideshow (laughs) Shelly no (laughs) but what are the chances
1: he also says he's a gown guy he loves the robe. Oh. Listeners today can't see I am I'm back in the robe today. I
0: think listeners can just always assume that you're in a robe.
1: Yes, he says he's got A beautiful black silk gown with lots of
0: gold and other colourful embroidery. I'm thinking Engelbert Humperdinck right now with a a chest (laughs) medallion and lounge. You never know. Lounging.
1: It sounds rather smoking jacket.
0: Darling, just give me a moment. I'm off to lounge. I'm just going to pop on my robe for lounging. His wife brought it back from Vietnam. Oh, that was nice. So
1: I think it's got a little touch of the Asian inspiration. Yes, I love
0: that. Embroidery. It
1: might even have a dragon on the back. Who knows? Mm. I love those gowns. He also mentions about food hoarding. Yes. He says he doesn't think he's a food hoarder, but he does think that you're correct in relating hoarding in general to possible childhood trauma. Now, he was in Cyclone Tracy. Oh, yes. When he was young. And he's made the connection here to the way that he stockpiles food, which an ex of his actually called his cupboard his Holocaust supplies. So I think that gives you an indication of how he's hoarding food. But thank you very much for your insights there, because I I do think there is something to food hoarding, childhood trauma, or... Just being hungry as a kid. Yeah. Not having enough food. Mm-hmm. Are you listening to me? Why Thinking are you up? trying? Oh, dropping, dropping trolley. Of... Oh. Murdered.
0: So, are you going to hit me with some love stories?
1: Mm. <laughs> I'm not sure this is a love story. But taking you back to the night of Valentine's Day, 1995. Former Marine and bodybuilder Sally McNeil called 911. She told the operator in a reasonably calm voice, I just shot my husband because he just beat me up. Oh. What do you think could cause a woman who, and I've seen pictures of her, she's built like a brick shit house, built, yeah. To murder her husband on Valentine's Day. He was cheating. All sorts of things, Jordy, including not very nice psychological, physical things. Cycling back to Sally, she was born in... Allentown, Pennsylvania, 1960. There is a song called Allentown by Billy Joel. You know it?
0: Um, working in Allentown. Yes. ringing a bell.
1: How does it go? Well, we're living here in Allentown. And the restless da 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 Yes, it does ring a bell. Wonderful, beautiful Billy Joel song. I'll pop a link for the Patreon people to okay. the song. Working Class Town – Poor. It's very uh, low socio demographic in terms of finances. So, not a wealthy place to grow up. And Sally had a pretty rough childhood in kind of a tough family environment where there was lots of physical violence, I think, against her, but also against her mum. And as a coping mechanism, she threw herself into sport at school. She did really well. Be, she was a great athlete, she was a top swimmer. She was a diver. She was top at running. She just loved the physicality of sports so much that she decided she would become a PE teacher. And despite her rough home life and lack of money, she managed to enroll at East Stroudsburg State College and did three and a half years of the PE teaching course. But with just one semester left, She ran out of money and just couldn't find the finances to fund the last semester of her education. So she had to quit college. And at this point, she was married to a guy called Anthony Loudon. They'd been married for four years and she had three kids. So boom, boom, boom. Although the marriage had started off strong, it went pretty bad pretty fast. She was a victim of domestic violence in the marriage, which eventually pushed her into finding the strength to get a divorce. Now, during all of this, the couple's third child was put up for adoption and taken in by another family, which basically left Sally as a single mum with two kids. And after her divorce, and with no money behind her, Sally decided to join the Marines. Her brother had joined the Marines, so had her uncle, and... While she was in the Marines, it was then that she started bodybuilding. She rose up the ranks of the whole services, armed forces, bodybuilding competitions. She twice won these competitions in the late 80s for her physique in something called the U.S. Armed Services Physique Championships.
0: Okay, so that's like really kind of like muscly, bobbly, that kind of rippled... Physique we're talking oh, about.
1: man. Exactly. You think about Brown, a woman who's shiny. so fucking ripped. Exactly. Carved in oil, super tanned. You know, they're doing all those poses. Flexing of all the muscles
0: you didn't know you had.
1: I know. And the veins are popping out. You know, yeah. the skin is really tight against these overbuilt bodies.
0: I often think, what happens when you decide that you don't want to do the working out anymore? What happens to all those muscles? What do you look like? Do they all kind of just droop? Or do you go back to a normal soft body shape?
1: I think you go back to a soft body shape because I have seen pictures of Sally then and Sally now. She's actually a bit bigger. So I think maybe when you put on weight, anything that Mm. was a bit baggy saggy after the bodybuilding probably is counterbalanced. But, you know, she just looks like a normal person now. She doesn't look like one of these. It's super built women. That's when all of her passion for bodybuilding really kick-started. And there is an HBO documentary called Killer Sally. It is worth watching because kind of post Me Too, maybe with a more compassionate lens of how we look at domestic violence and coercive control, I think this documentary gives a different perspective on what this woman did and why she did it. Back to the documentary – She said she didn't start bodybuilding for the looks. It was basically to get stronger so she could protect herself. Being a woman in the Marines and coming out Mm. of an abusive relationship, I can't even imagine what she had to protect herself from. She's seen some
0: shit, experienced a lot by the sound of it.
1: Exactly. So actually on Valentine's Day in 1987, she decided to enter a proper bodybuilding competition outside of the Marines. And she came forth, which was amazing considering it was her first day at the rodeo. It was through this whole bodybuilding scene that a mate of hers at her bodybuilding gym introduced her to a guy called Ray McNeil, who was another competitive bodybuilder. For Sally and Ray, it was, in her words, lust at first sight.
0: Ew. <laughs> Sorry, this is Valentine's Day. I forgot. Oh, that's beautiful. Lust, lust, lust. Let's eat some oysters and drink some champagne.
1: Exactly. Get the sexy lingerie on. Oh, yes. And in the 80s, it was all. Oh, God, do you remember? It was all Ging those strings. parties. Well, it was also the crotchless knickers. Oh. In red, in red nylon. Crotchless knickers. Super flammable, all of that. Look, Sally thought this guy was just gorgeous. He was buff. He was a bodybuilder. He also was like veins popping out, all that kind of thing. And she also thought he just was really sweet. And in her mind, she thought this could be the perfect stepfather for my
0: two kids. The guy that you're in lust with.
1: Exactly.
0: father material.
1: Whirlwind romance. (laughs) And it got super intense, super fast. After two months, Geordie, they tied the knot, got married. Sally was still in the Marines and Ray was as well, actually, but after settling in Oceanside in California, continuing to both enter bodybuilding competitions, Ray left the Marines in 1991 to turn pro and try to become a full-time bodybuilder, but money was tight. And Sally, who I will say is not the perfect victim in this story because She did have some issues with aggression and behavioural problems. And that had led to her being demoted in the Marines because... She was not behaving properly. Yeah, exactly. She actually got demoted and ended up being a cook because they couldn't kick her out of the Marines. They had to find something else for her to do. And also she didn't want to leave because they needed the money. At this point, she was the only breadwinner. In the documentary, she says... I hated cooking, but we needed to pay the rent. The family at this stage was so poor that Sally was going around scavenging cans
0: to get money for the family. When cans used to pay good dividends. It's not much, is it? Ten
1: cent, a can or something. But you find enough and the dollars can add up. You take them to the recycling bank and, you know, that might be ten bucks if you've got enough cans and that could put food on the table for the night. In the meantime, Ray seemed to be... Happy to let Sally do all the heavy lifting in the family financially because he was super focused on becoming a pro bodybuilder at any cost. Despite going pro, Sally says that Ray was obsessed by his bodybuilding but also really insecure about his physique. He left no space in the relationship for Sally to pursue her dreams of becoming a top bodybuilder. And apparently he was always putting her down always telling her that she should work to support his dream because he was the superior bodybuilder. And, quote, From the start, I wasn't good enough, says Sally. I was never good enough. Ray felt as though he was the most important person in the family. He was trying to get me to give up my dream so I could support him. And she kind of did. So, with no money coming in from Ray, and with Sally needing to put food on the table for her kids, and also to keep Ray's steroid habit going... Because, of course, in the 80s, it was all about the roids.
0: Roids. Yeah. (laughs) The roids. Hemorrhoids, I thought.
1: (laughs) What? Steroids. He's roided up. Ray's on the roids. (laughs) Roid me up, Ray. Look, Sally decided she had to just get some extra cash to put food on the table. So, she did this thing where she would star in kind of these weird, sexy, but not porny, homemade videos.
0: So a little like early OnlyFans account in in the 80s. Reader's Wives.
1: Well, kind of, except it was to do with wrestling and bodybuilding. So obviously she's like super built. She's still working out being bodybuilding. So she's buff. She's big. And her moniker, her nickname for these videos was killer sally oh. and yeah and basically she'd be wrestling these men i don't know what she was wearing i didn't manage to see any of these because they've kind of gone underground but could have been just in you know tiny little g-string bikini yeah it was a thing back in the 90s where female bodybuilders would wrestle dudes wow she'd get paid 300 bucks an okay. hour which meant she could keep the family going and keep Ray and Royds. <laughs> Ray and his Royds. She also did this thing called muscle worship. Again, filmed yeah. or IRL, just one on one, where she would have a private wrestling session with dudes where they would be dominant oh. and she would be the worshipper it would get a bit sexy.
0: Actual D in V, <laughs> sex. No. <laughs> That's not a maths lesson. That's not an algebra lesson. That is Michelle describing sex.
1: No, they weren't doing that. <laughs> D in the V. They didn't do that. So it would be other kind of kinks, you know. So, yeah, Sally did this because, again, she had to find a way to feed the kids and feed Ray's roid habit. And in the documentaries – She kind of says, if she could do this with 10 dudes, that's three grand. And it was something that she could do to earn money fast for the family. In the documentary, there are people saying what she was doing was kind of bodybuilding prostitution. But, Mm. you know, she was fine with it because she had to get money. And she said she was lucky because none of the men ever tried to have sex with her. But there were occasional bad feelings when I guess, you know, she wouldn't go all the way. But the money outweighed the
0: dark side and she was fine with it. And she could probably, I don't know, protect herself, I suppose. She was strong if they got out of but hand. But these dudes are bodybuilders. Are big too?
1: So this is all happening within the bodybuilding oh. community. So they're bigger than her. Right. And they want her to worship them. It's almost like seeing lion's mate in the wild, it feels like. maybe. I mean, honestly, I don't know why they wouldn't just get some teeny-weeny little girl who's not a bodybuilder to worship them. You know, so the, the contrast between their big bodies. Anyway, who knows what the psychology of that is? I think I can guess. Yes. I guess it won't come as a surprise that with all of Ray's insecurities and his need to control Sally and put her down... And the fact that he was also pumped full of roids. Ray did have some demons. Sally and her kids, John and Shantina, all talk about the physical violence and abuse that Ray inflicted on Sally and the kids. And in fact, on the third day of their marriage, day three they've been married. Third day? Sally says that Ray punched her in the face and split her lip. And ladies, I will just say... This is why the whirlwind romance can seem so exciting and like destiny, but you can also miss the red flags with people, you know, just keep your wits about you. Like most domestic violence cases, a pattern began of Ray being super abusive physically towards Sally, then love bombing her, offering apologies, telling her he'll change, Sally believing things will change. But, of course, it never did and the cycle of abuse continued. Ray broke Sally's nose. He repeatedly choked her. He almost killed her on several occasions. According to her, basically, he would rape her. She didn't want to have sex with him. He would force her. Sally's son says his relationship with Ray was also violent and that he would be abused and beaten, especially when Sally wasn't around. I mean, it's really fucking heartbreaking. So, Ray is not a good guy. And apparently, he's cheating on Sally as well with other women and dudes. She kind of suspects this. So, it's all quite complicated. But to be fair, Sally was also no angel and had a history of violence herself. So, in 1990, Sally was arrested for pointing a gun at her first husband, Anthony. And for smashing the windows of his car with a metal bar. She'd also been arrested one time before that for assaulting a
0: mailman. Oh, that's like... Watch out, Dan the postie. Don't touch Dan. Do not touch my Dan. Hands off, Dan. Hands off my Dan, Dan. postman. (laughs) I'd I'd hate that. I'd hate for my postie to be punched. He's only trying to deliver something nice, guys. Or maybe not always nice. Sometimes it's a bill. But it's not his fault. Don't punch the messenger. Don't punch the postie. Look, apparently she says
1: the mailman slapped her son, John. What? Oh, there's there's more to this. It wasn't just at the door. So apparently the mailman slapped her son, John, after John had had a fight with the mailman's son. Oh, I so, see. He came around. Okay, so there was beef. It wasn't just, he delivered a letter and she didn't want it. Okay. But yes, she uh, had been arrested for assault. Sally's got a temper, but Ray really squashed her down, beat her, you know, controlled her. So it's a fiery situation, but she's not Mm. winning in that relationship. Okay. And look, apparently after Sally and Ray were married, Sally attacked... Also, one of Ray's exes at a bodybuilding show, pinning this woman to the floor and hitting her over and over again, which led to her being suspended for a year from the National Physique Committee. In 1993, one night when Sally was at the club, a bouncer asked her to stop dancing on the tables (laughs) and she she got pissed off and kicked the bouncer three times in the face. Oh my
0: God, Sally. Yeah. Yeah. Doof, doof, doof. That's a high kick as well, I'm assuming. I mean, look, I think she was smashed. She was fucking pissed. Or maybe she did it from the table.
1: Yeah, that's what I mean. Ah. She kicked from the table. She was like, fuck you, I'm dancing on the table. Boof, boof, boof. When the police arrived, she threatened to kill the police. Wow. And look, remember, this woman's built. She's a bodybuilder. So I think she's quite intimidating. For sure. I'm not asking Sally to get off the table. That's for sure. I mean, to be fair, this marriage does sound like a match made in hell. She's borderline violent and he's abusive. But like I said, she's not winning in this marriage. So let's fast forward to the night of Valentine's Day, 1985. Apparently, Ray had been on a date that night with another woman, not his wife. Fucking hell, Ray. A woman called Marianne Myers. Yeah, I know. What a dick. He'd met this woman at the gym where he trained. And I did read that... Ray's friend, Dwayne DJ Jeffers, said Ray had been dating Marianne for quite some time oh. and had decided he was going to leave Sally for this new woman. And Ray had definitely planned to spend Valentine's Day 1995 with Marianne, not Sally. A bit rude. Ray apparently even told DJ that he was going to tell Sally that night on Valentine's Day. Good one, Ray. That it was over. And when he got home after the Valentine's Day date, Oh, this prick. DJ was like, mate, I'm not sure you should tell her on Valentine's Day because you got a shotgun in the house think that's a good idea oh but Ray laughed it off <laughs> wasn't worried about DJ it DJ calls it fucking hell now Sally wasn't stupid and she basically knew that Ray was with another woman that night sure and she was pissed off and she was about to go out and comb the bars trying to find where he was but he turned up home shortly after 9 15 at night Sally accused him of cheating on her and the pair got into you know, a really heated fight where Sally says in a roid rage, Ray started to beat her up and was choking mm-hmm. her. Oh. Now the police transcript of that night reads that Sally says Ray slapped her, pushed her down on the floor and started choking her. She tried to squirm away and managed to get away from Ray and run into the bedroom where she took
0: her sword off shotgun. Her sword off shotgun. Mm. Sword off shotgun. Yep. I'm sorry, is she a fucking gangster now?
1: Personally, I think it was probably the couple's sword off shotgun, but the Why? police transcript say that it's hers. Right. Okay. Then Sally shot Ray twice: once in the abdomen, once in the face. Ooh. Ooh. Oh wow. yeah, I know, really fucking violent. According to Sally, after she shot him the first time, Ray kept coming for her. No. Which is why she shot him again Fuck. in the face. Oh. In your face, Ray. Wow, that's horrible. Obviously, this stopped him and she was able to run to the phone and call 911 where she said, "I shot my husband." Right. No qualms. She's not trying to get out of this. Now, Ray was rushed to the hospital where he did later die of gunshot wounds and at the police station, she told the two officers interrogating her, quote, I wanted to get out of the house and he wouldn't let me out of the house. So then I ran back to the bedroom and I got my shotgun. When the police told her that Ray had died, Sally collapsed on the table in front of them and she was like, I didn't want it to be that way. I just wanted him to stop hitting me and she was apparently in bits Now, Sally was charged with second-degree murder in the hours after
0: Ray died. Second-degree murder, that's usually manslaughter, isn't it, in America?
1: Yes, it is. First-degree murder, I believe, is premeditated. Second-degree is situational. During her court case, her defence was basically going along the lines that she suffered years of abuse at the hands of Ray, and that night... After she was attacked, she just snapped. She couldn't take it anymore. It was essentially self-defense. He was going to kill her if she didn't kill him first. Right. Remember, we're in 1995 where domestic violence is not viewed in the same way that we see it today. Because basically back then, if you were a battered wife, you did something to deserve it. Sally's trial was going on at the same time that OJ Simpson's trial was underway where he got off the double murder of his wife and her friend, despite the fact that he'd been done for spousal abuse of his wife, Nicole, previously. Now, it was also the year that a guy called Alan Dershowitz published a book called The Abuse Excuse and Other Cop-Outs, Sob Stories, and Evasions of Responsibility.
0: Wait, what?
1: Yeah, which basically claimed that women who claimed that years of abuse were a reason for snapping... We're literally getting away with murder.
0: I don't like him.
1: What a fuckwit. Her case is going on in a cultural climate of having absolutely no sympathy for
0: these women. Get back in your place. Yeah, get back in your fucking box, Alan Dershowitz. But they're saying to the women, get back in your place because you can't come to us with these excuses. Exactly. You've done something to deserve it. Sob stories. Wow, The abuse
1: excuse. That's the name of the book. Public opinion was not on Sally's side at this time. Plus, Lorena Bobbitt had just happened. Cut off her husband's D while he was sleeping. None of this did anything for Sally's case. She was not seen as this poor little wife who acted in self-defense because she was this burly fucking bodybuilder who the media called the pumped-up princess or they called her the brawny bride. You can already see The media and also the public were not seeing her sympathetically. People were more concerned about how she looked rather than the details of the case. The defense team made her out to be the aggressor, saying she's a bully, she's a thug. But what people don't think about is that, yes, she was this built woman, but Ray was this big, fucking massive, strong, black guy, three times her size. She did not stand a chance. And of course, during the trial in the courtroom, the prosecution tried to paint a picture of Sally as a jealous wife who wanted her husband dead because he was cheating on her. But let's not forget here, Sally was the breadwinner. She was supporting Ray and his career, putting food on the table, paying for his roids. Plus, he was an abusive husband that committed spousal rape. He's not a catch. And throughout the trial and over the past 20 years, Sally has never budged from her story that it was self-defense and that it wasn't jealous rage. She says it was fear. Right. There were apparently a few odd things about the case and Sally's version of events, some people think they don't add up because it's said that during the initial police interview, Sally's body language wasn't what people would have expected. That makes her guilty apparently the trajectory of the bullets she fired into Ray and the blood splatter on their living room lamp supposedly wasn't consistent with her story where she was meant to be on the ground or it doesn't match up to how the bullets went to his body. But I think the memory of the moment can be hard to recall. When you are fighting for your life, everything's a blur. So I don't know about that. But also, apparently, the police did DNA testing of Ray's body after his death, which apparently showed that none of Sally's DNA was on Ray, which puts a question mark over her story of being beaten up and choked in the minutes before she shot Ray. Is that true? It's 95. How good is the DNA testing? Who knows? We don't really know what happened that night, but what we do know is that in 1996, Sally was convicted of second-degree murder and was sentenced to 19 years to life in prison. And the jury said that self-defense was not applicable in her case because Mm -hmm. her life wasn't what they deemed to be in imminent danger.
0: Right. I think being choked is. That's pretty imminent. Yeah, okay. That no one was there and there's no DNA, so they can't prove that she was being choked unless there was injuries to prove.
1: Well, I don't know if there were marks around her neck. That's not in any of my research. But since 1996, Sally has appealed her sentence and it was actually overturned, only for it to be overturned again and reversed. So she went straight back to prison. No, she went back to prison. Oh, she's in. Oh, okay. I was overturned and then reversed. I see. Yeah. So she was finally granted parole on May 29, 2020, right in the middle of the pandemic. And oh, after she, she going to go? Well, after she got out, she married a guy called Norfleet Stewart. Brilliant name. Uh, who she yeah. met through her Veterans Transition Centre support group. And she currently lives happily in Northern California. Happy fucking Valentine's Day, everybody. Happy Valentine's to
0: you. Mm. You know, it's a bit rough, but the things you do for love, right? <laughs>
1: the things you do
0: for love. You know, on that uh, male-on-female violence theme that we're doing this Valentine's, Michelle, I've got a little bit of an update about something which everybody's been talking about, so it's not my main story, so bear with me. I'm just going to go over a couple of things that happened on previous Valentine's Day, in particular... Valentine's Day 2013 in South Africa. And that was the night that Reva Steenkamp lost her life at the hands of her very recent boyfriend, the South African Paralympic and Olympic multiple gold winner, Oscar Pistorius. He was known as Blade Runner because of his running blades that he would wear because he had had both legs amputated as a baby due to a congenital birth defect, if you were wondering. He said he mistook his girlfriend for a burglar while she was in the bathroom and fired four bullets through the door, which killed her instantly. And he was found guilty of manslaughter in 2014, but the initial five-year sentence was overturned shortly after. Then there was a period between 2015 and 2016 when he was released under house arrest before his conviction was then changed and his sentence was then lengthened to 13 years and five months. Because judges just didn't believe his version of events. And I don't think many people do believe his version of events, which I'm not going to go into this episode. They say it was inconsistent and improbable and he had fired that gun without having a rational or genuine fear that his life was in danger. Yep. Rena Steenkamp's family spoke on the 10th anniversary of her death in 2023 saying that they had forgiven Pistorius but because he refused to admit that he deliberately shot her They were strongly opposing his early release, which happened after serving 11 years of his sentence last month, January 2024. He's out. What? He's out? He's out. Fucking hell. He's out, but his sentence doesn't expire until 2029. But until then, he has to live under strict rules, which confine him to his house for certain hours of the day, as well as banning him from drinking alcohol. And he's not permitted to speak to the media. So you won't see any interviews. Right. He'll also need to have um, therapy to help deal with the issues surrounded his gender-based violence and anger. So there's a whole backstory about him and his attitude to women and I would also say from what little I know about South African people that they've talked to me about this is just anecdotal that there seems to be a bit of a vibe of men can kind of behave a certain way and it gets swept under the carpet or accepted right it's a bit of a patriarchal violent thing cultural yeah yeah exactly so that's down to the laws in South Africa mm-hmm. they just kind of let you serve half and then they look at your behavior And then you're out. Right. But under strict rules. I think that guy is a menace to
1: society and should not be allowed near another fucking woman. But that's just my opinion. (laughs) Don't say me.
0: (laughs) Is it fact? It's opinion. So unfortunately, Valentine's Day has a habit of churning out the tragic events. And here's another thing that happened on Valentine's Day. This one was at a Valentine's Day disco party. In Dublin in 1981, and you may have heard about it, it's the Stardust nightclub fire. So just after midnight, a fire started in the roof space above this club, the Stardust, and because of the really loud music and all the high spirits shenanigans going on downstairs, the sound was not heard by the club goers, and they had no idea that the fire was going oh, on above no. their heads until... The heat from the fire melted the roofing materials. That stuff was dripping on their heads, hot, dripping, whatever, from the ceiling.
1: And that would also mean it was too late to get the fuck out. God, this is awful. Well,
0: it was hindered, and I'll tell you why. The panic that then flew through the room meant that all the people in the club were racing for the exits. But these were actually padlocked like a lot of the emergency exits were padlocked and the windows were sealed shut in the toilets and elsewhere there were tables and chairs in the way that had been pushed aside for the dance floor there were 841 people inside michelle tragically 48 lost their lives that night 200 were injured so some did get out quite a significant amount however lives were lost oh my god this is awful this was a year after another deadly nightclub fire, which was the Denmark Place fires in the Spanish rooms in 1980. And that was just, I was listening to a documentary about that on the radio the other day. That killed 37. And that was an act of arson. And it's believed that the Stardust fire was as well. What? But they haven't been able to prove it. In fact, there was a tribunal after the initial fire. But there's another one coming up today. What? No. Yeah.
1: How many years after the fact? 50. Well, it's
0: 1981. You do the maths. (laughs) I
1: can't. (laughs) I didn't work it out.
0: I don't know. God, 40 years on. 80 to 20. What are we now? 24. That's 90. (laughs) 20. That's 20 years. 24. 34. 44. 45? Is it? I don't know. Fuck. I've got a few testimonies from people who were there. There's 18 year old Deirdre Dames. Deirdre dames, who was having a great night there until there was until she heard a loud bang and the lights all went out, she remembers how she was trying to make her way to find her friends, but everybody was pushing and shouting. Imagine it was probably quite wild. She said that she went she got down on her hands and knees and crawled to the toilet, which I think a lot of people were trying to get out of the toilet, but again the windows were sealed shut. It was scorching hot in there. And it was filled with black smoke. So Deirdre was unable to breathe or swallow. So what she did to survive Michelle was that she put her head down the toilet bowl. And whenever she raised her head, all she could hear were screams. Oh, my God. It's devastating, isn't it? There was, as I said, a trial. And the nightclub manager, Eamon Butterly, actually claimed 580,000 people pounds irish pounds at the time in compensation for malicious damage despite this tribunal deeming him culpable of recklessly dangerous practice families were outraged he said i don't believe the doors were locked sir and that is my evidence what which is what he told the barrister for the families oh
1: my god the evidence is nobody wants to die And everyone's trying to get out. If the doors are locked... And they
0: couldn't, exactly. They could... Oh,
1: this is fucked.
0: So there were computer simulations carried out. And this was in a a much later tribunal. They showed that there was delays to the evacuation ranging from 34 to 92 seconds. And the man doing the simulations, um, a man called Martin Davidson, said, 34 seconds doesn't sound like a lot, but in the context of a rapid fire, that it's huge. Yeah. He also said the obstructions also contributed to loss of life that night. Yeah. And there were multiple breaches of bylaws during the construction and operation of the club. So it's right. almost a little bit reminiscent of a more modern fire. Grenfell yeah there was metal shutters actually attached to the doors at the entrance and steel plates on the toilet windows weirdly why would they have them there
1: well they don't want anyone getting in for free do they oh I see it's my thought otherwise you're sneaking your mates in through the bogs look I mean it sounds like quite a hardcore club maybe yeah where the owner is like out for every penny because right in the wake of this
0: awful tragedy he's suing they're claiming compensation what? i Life know awful the fire crews who were there that night said that they had to physically restrain people from getting them back into the premises because obviously they had friends back in there, family even they had to go back in they yeah. had to stop people and they said that they were faced with a chaotic scene of hundreds of distressed members of the public some trying to re-enter the building some injured probably most of them panicking They said it was unprecedented for everybody who was there and they'd never seen anything like it in their career.
1: I can't even imagine. If I had run out and I knew that my friends or my family were inside, your instinct is to go back in because you feel
0: safe and to try and grab them. I know. It's really sad. Deborah Osborne, who was 19 at the time, said that she was there with Sandra Lawless, who was 18. Her friend died in the blaze. They got separated after they were trying to get their coats after they saw the fire. So it's quite quickly after the fire became apparent. Mm. They were there with another friend who was 19 called Paula Lewis, all from the same village or town in Ireland. And she also died and another lady called Mary Heaney. She said that when the heat became intense, they let go of each other's hands to to protect their faces because they were all holding hands as they were trying to leave. Yeah. Deborah Osborne said, I stood there and I couldn't see a thing. I screamed and called their names. Eventually I fell to the ground and it was very hard to get up because people were panicking. So that's been falling all over you and running around you. So she said she crawled along the floor and then she found Sandra. They were hugging each other And she said, I had her face in my hands and her face was red. And she said, Deborah, we are going to die. And I said, no, we're not, Sandra. And they just lay down. She said, at that stage, it's very hard to explain. You are still scared, but you don't feel anything. I hope this brings solace to Sandra's father and Paula's mother. You don't feel anything. It's like you're going somewhere nice. Wow fucking hell yeah she had a near-death experience where she did lose two of her friends yeah but she was able then to give solace to the parents by telling them how it felt for her and hopefully it felt that way for her friends as well in those last moments she continues i was just going somewhere nice you're going towards something it's there and you're just reaching up to that place we were happy to find each other so they were all together we just wanted to go to sleep and that's the way it felt she said that then she was prodded by mary heaney who told her to get up And she said, I can't, I can't. But she did get up. And to this day, she doesn't know why she didn't take Sandra with her. So she's got survivor's guilt. She said she's sorry. And she stumbled maybe a foot. And then she was in the fresh air. They weren't far from the exit. Oh, no. I know. It's absolutely devastating.
1: I think smoke inhalation, you can't think rationally. Also, you're in a panic. It's the oxygen deprivation. You can't have survivor's guilt because of what happened in that moment. I mean, obviously, you do feel guilty because your friends didn't make it. For sure. I think in the moment, in the moment, she did all she could.
0: And actually, she wanted to keep sleeping she was dragged out of it so unfortunately heartbroken families survivors with their guilt it doesn't help that they don't have any answers but like I said currently they are reopening the investigation so hopefully stay tuned we might hear some more about it I don't know but there also seemed to be a catalogue of errors which was contributing to the lack of survivors out of that yeah of course Happy fucking Valentine's Day,
1: bitch. Happy fucking Valentine's (laughs) Day. Really heartbreaking story. Reminds me of the ghost train. However, if what Deborah says is true and with the oxygen deprivation, the smoke inhalation, you just fall asleep, this is what I would like to hope for anyone who is the victim of fire. These are not happy love stories of I met him and then we got married and now we got we five kids and we live happily ever after well
0: we did once have a really lovely happy valentine's or love story didn't we sent in by a listener unfortunately no one sent anything in for us we didn't request you know we, didn't we forgot request. to say hey guys send us your love stories <laughs> maybe you could start sending them in now for next year because we don't want to be debbie downers do we on valentine's day
1: It's too fucking late. We just have been.
0: Tell us what your plans are for later, Michelle. Oh, I'll be working. (laughs) Oh, There's no
1: Valentine's Day for me. Maybe you'll see
0: some loved up couples at the tables.
1: Yeah, but you also see those ones who sit there in silence and you're like, divorce (laughs) in moment. Oh, God. You've thrown all the money into this, but. Last ditch attempt. Yeah, I'm not sure it's going to (laughs) work. Ain't going to cut it. You see that a lot. What are you going to do? Are you going to go out for a PDA, Public Display of Affection?
0: No, God. No, I'd rather not. Instead, we'll stay in and I think the children would prefer it if we didn't have any PDAs whatsoever. We'll probably have oysters because that seems to be our tradition and a little glass of something bubbly.
1: Oh, well, that sounds very nice. I like the sound of that. I hope all our eavesdroppers have a loved up, Lovely fucking love, 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 Valentine's Day. Lovely fucking... Lovely fucking <laughs> lovey-dovey. Fucking love. up. <laughs> lovey-dovey Valentine's Day.
0: Yes, wishing you all the love. All the love. From this love. devastating story I know. to you.
1: Sorry, sorry to bring you down on Valentine's Day, but... Hey.
0: That's what we're here for.
1: And honestly, Jordi, I think there's really only at this point three things left to say.
0: What's that, Michelle? <sighs> Wherever you are. Oh, whatever you do. Just, just keep eavesdropping. 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 Eavesdropping.